One Week Season. Everybody and welcome to this week's Edge Breakdown with myself and Hilo. As we're starting this broadcast, we just got the update that this—I'm uh, going to change the word I like to use there—that the Jets doctors uh, are not clearing Mike White, and that Zach Wilson will be starting. Um, rip my best ball, Garrett Wilson shares. Rip my Elijah Moore shares. And that's where we're starting. We're going to cover the three-game slate on Saturday. We're going to cover the Colts-Vikings, the Ravens, the Browns, and a possible snowmageddon in the Dolphins and Bills. And if you're listening to this on your favorite one-and-a-half speed, don't forget you can come see our pretty faces over on YouTube as well. we got lots of data up on YouTube for you guys to look at. And we're going to get into the Jets news right away. How are you feeling about that, Hilo? Dude, I was so, the slate was so clear to me about 10 minutes ago. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I knew exactly what the field was likely to do. Um, There's a bunch of fragile chalk pay up running backs on the slate. I knew that I wanted to go elsewhere. Like, and I knew that I wanted to utilize a Mike White double. And it was like, this slate is so clear to me how I wanted to attack it in single entry. And then like, we get the news that, the Jets doctors are not clearing Mike White and that Zach Wilson is going to start. And that completely changes the dynamics of what was my favorite game environment to attack um, this week. So like you look at like all the data, the, the, and we had a fairly significant sample size. Cause we had, we had five, we had six games where Zach Wilson did not start for the Jets this season in those games the Jets were at or above league average in offensive plays run from scrimmage in every single one. We have what a seven, eight game sample where Mike White or where Zach Wilson was starting. They were at or above league average in offensive plays run from scrimmage once in his first game. So it's a very clear change in dynamics from that team how they're trying to win games with Zach Wilson and then with not Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson is like indecisive. He has turnover issues. He tries to attack downfield, but they're trying. Robert Sala is like trying to rein that in because they don't want to, they have a defense to where it's like, why would I want my quarterback to lose the game for us? So the whole dynamics of like how the Jets offense is going to run now completely flip on its head. Um, and they've already confirmed that it'll be Zach Wilson instead of yep. um, Joe Flacco. So that's a bummer to you. It's like anybody but Zach Wilson, dude. <laughs> I'm actually at the point. I feel like I feel like Flacco did like hooked up with one of the coaches wives or something like like there's no way they're watching the tape and thinking Zach Wilson gives them a better chance to win at this point. I yeah, these are smart guys, right? The so I was a smart guy. Like these guys are intelligent and creative, and I just I have to wonder at this point, like what do they look at 
like from a coaching perspective, right? I've coached a lot at a pretty high level and uh, especially, you know, a lot in my twenties. And I look back and I, and I say, okay, if I'm watching this tape, right, if I'm breaking this tape down, what am I watching? What, am, what do I think he does that's going to give me a better chance to win? And I just don't understand like what, like what they see other than, you know, there is a possibility he, you know, he's a little bit in the doghouse for something like, that's the narrative I'm telling myself because I, I don't understand why. Yeah, it would be a little different if like this team were guaranteed, like if they had already locked up their playoff spot or if, because um, then it would be like, well, let's let's give Zach Wilson some reps. He obviously has some ways to go. Um, right. Or if they were eliminated, but they're sitting in the eighth seed <laughs> in the right. AFC. And it's like they have to win and they have to get some help to get in the playoffs. So, yeah, I don't I don't know, man. Um, it's like now it just makes me think that now like the jets are trying, going to try and win this game with their defense and they're going to play a conservative game plan, which is not what I wanted to hear. Yes. Yeah. That I wanted that desperation factor from this game with two teams that have to win to get in. Well, have to win and get some help from here on out basically to get in. Yeah, this was, um, I really like that spot too. So I'll, I'll be interested to break it down with Mike. And once we have a little bit more news and we kind of get through today and, and we do the cast with him, I want to talk about uh, our boy, someone we have talked about every week and go talk about last night's slate a little bit. Uh, Mr. Kittle uh, broke the slate last night. Of course he did it on a showdown. Yep. Right. But we've been saying, if you listen to us at all, if you read OWS at all, we've been saying for weeks, he's going to break one of these like he did. Right. He's, he's going to get there. He was just shy of the bonus, but he had the two TDs and we knew he could get you there at some point. For me, uh, I was talking to Mark about this before. This is the second time now this season for me. I have had someone tackled at the one yard line. And if they would have scored, I would have won the showdown slate. I play a lot of five one. I think there's a lot of leverage there in showdown. And the risk I'm willing to take is when I miss, I like, I really miss. I, there's no chance I'm min cashing. I I'm either at the top or I'm at the bottom, which in the showdowns, which is what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. That's my approach. I do a little bit of four, two, but I'm probably 80, 20, 90, 10, five, one that I play on, especially single entry because of the leverage. I believe it gives on the field. And if anybody's read anything about me or talked to me or listened to me, they know I'm a lifelong diehard Niner fan. Uh, my wife and I have attended games for years and years, we were at the Vernon Davis, you know, catch where there was four touchdowns against the saints uh, to go. We were at the last game at candlestick. We were at the last NFC championship game. We, we go to Niners game. We are, we're big Niners fans and I'm lucky. I, I have an amazing wife that uh, loves football. Uh, well, she loves the Niners. She doesn't really care to watch a bunch of other stuff, but she loves the Niners with me. And so it makes it fun. So last night I'm, I'm sitting there and, I'm like, okay, right. I almost got there. And what I did was, is I ran a CMC double stack with Mason. And the story I told was if Kittle breaks the slate and they're up. Uh, and if you look at Twitter, I was talking about it with quite a few people last night. I just said, I, I think the Niners are going to spank them. I think that their defense is going to get after them. And it, it played out close to how I thought it would. And I thought Mason at his ownership would give me a ton of leverage. So he wasn't there everybody's in the box 
And I literally look at it and I go, if he gets four yards, he's gone. Like he's gone. Mm-hmm. They got everybody up because they're trying it right. They got to stop him. They got to end the game. And he breaks it. And I am screaming at the TV screaming. Cause I know where I stand. Cause I was watching and I was like, man, if something could have happened here, uh, we could have got there and I was real close and I'm really happy. And I was happy with my process last night and I started screaming and I'm watching that D DB chase me down. It was like slow motion. I could just see him wheeling him in. And I was like, Oh, he's going to get him. He's going to get him. I'm like, I literally yeah. stiff arm him. <laughs> right. Dive, like I'm screaming dive. And uh, he got tackled at the one. And um, I finished, you know, I, fi- I did really well last night, but I, I didn't get that that big paycheck, which, you know, uh, I was talking to my wife about, you know, really, and she was like, oh, how we do? And I was like, you know, these are super top heavy. I'm like, you got to basically got to win. And I was like, it was really close. And uh, that's the second time this season that uh, beginning of the season when DeAndre Carter caught that pass and got tackled at the one in the Chargers game. And then mm-hmm. Palmer went and scored that touchdown. If Everett Williams or Carter score that touchdown instead of Palmer, or Eckler rushes it in, even if Eck rushes it in and he doesn't get the bonus from the catch. I went, I went that one as well. So that's, that's two times this season already for me. So I had to get that out. Cause I just had to, had to vent a little bit after last night. Cause I was a little tilted still <laughs> early yeah, this dude. morning. And, uh, but that's what makes showdowns fun, right? Is you, you, you know, the last second of the game, it can totally change. Right. And maddening at the same yeah. time. Yeah, I was, uh, it was so close. <laughs> so, well, speaking of Madden, let's get into this Colts Vikings game. And, um, I, you know, I think there's going to be some people that overthink how to play this Saturday slate with these three games. You know, you, we saw yesterday and I'm going to lead into it a little bit later. Um, but if you've been on, you know, Twitter talking to guys, people are talking about sitting Tyreek, right? Uh, because of the snow. Um, it, it, it wild to me. And people did it last night. People said, Hey, uh, I'm going to sit Kittle. And even more crazy is people were sitting CMC because everybody was on Seattle. Like there was people that sat McCaffrey. Like, and, and my question I proposed was, why do you draft a guy first, second or third overall to sit him in champion the, you know, the first week of the playoffs. If you, you know, if you're in season long, maybe you have a buy, but you know, this is first week of playoffs for a lot of people. So um, as we get into this, I want to talk about ownership a little bit. And, you know, we know what a pass funnel uh, the Vikes D has been. Um, how do you how do you see leverage coming on the field? Uh, we were just talking about ownership a little bit. And and right now, Taylor is coming in at 53 percent ownership. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next closest is Dalvin at 37 and then Chubb at 20. Right. Like that's uh, against. The Vikes run D, which is, you know, middle of the field. How how are you feeling about Taylor there? The Vikings run D is top five in a lot of metrics. Right. We'll start there. The so there's talking about the slate from the top down. So starting with like the macro and and going backwards, there's a lot to say about the state of the slate without giving away too much that's behind the paywall, because there's a lot of information that I unpack um, in the slate write-up of the Saturday slate, because I, I, I tackled all three of these games in a similar fashion that I, uh, to what I did on Thanksgiving slate. So I, I broke down each game and then I went into like a combined game theoretics and DFS plus interpretation. 
So without giving away too much of what's behind the paywall there for the inner circle members, um, there's a lot going on with respect to like the macro, or I guess where I feel like the field is likely to go here and the macro state of the slate. All the talk about the what's going on with this slate of games is with the snow in uh, in Buffalo. They're expecting like six to eight inches um, and they're expecting a couple of inches of snowfall during the game. So over that three hours, they're expecting some mild to moderate wind. So like 15 mile per hour sustained with uh, gusting to like 25 miles per hour. They are, the field is looking at, I feel like the field is looking at team totals and being like, oh, the Colts are implied to score the third highest on the slate. Like, let's just yeah. throw them in. Well, it's like, wait a second. Like, what? <laughs> We're completely neglecting, like, who the Colts are. We're completely neglecting how they are trying to win games under Jeff Saturday. We're completely neglecting the fact that Matt Ryan is dust. We're, we're like, it's like we're blowing every this 14-week sample that we've seen or this four-week sample that we've seen with Jeff Saturday and being like, let's play the Colts because they're in a dome and they have a high team total. That was literally my number one note to talk to you about today of the whole slate was that right there. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot going on from a crowd psychology standpoint here. Um, I'll just leave it at that for now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, and let's talk about that. Let's get into the macro side of the whole slate with it being three games. And I'm going to run through some ownership, right? Because like I said, we just got some of it, some projected ownership. And let's talk about, I'm going to just break down each position real quick. And we can kind of talk about the, the macro side. So we're start at quarterback, ready? So shocking, shocking, Josh Allen's coming in at 35%, right? Mm-hmm. No, nobody's surprised. Cousins is coming in at 30. Deshaun at 23 Matt Ryan at 18, Huntley at nine. Tua has a 4% projected ownership. Let me, let me say something right now. If Tua gets 4% ownership, I don't care what the weather is um, with what, how they correlate their offense. I am, I'm running Tua. like, there's just, I'm figuring out how to make it work. Uh, we talked about it earlier in the season. It goes back to um, while they didn't go nuts was when we got, Allen, you know, when there was concern about his elbow, right. And he was at such low ownership that week. And, and the question was, when are you going to get Allen in such low ownership? You're just not right. Like I played a bunch of, I played a little more twenties that week just because I wanted some exposure to that. So we have that. So, right. So we just talked about Taylor and cook up there at the top for running backs, right? Next we got Chubb interesting as we go down above JK and Edwards who are real close to each other is Kareem. So the backup Cleveland running back is getting more run than what is the starting running back. And then we got Singletary right now is projected at 0.7 ownership at only $5,500. Wild to me. That's just wild. Um, Wide receiver, kind of what we expect up top a little bit. Um, Jefferson, clear alpha, right? He's getting the cup roll 45%. Second though is Pittman at 38. 
and then Thielen at 34. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of, right. We're going to see a lot of cousins double stacks would, would be my, you know, on based on projected ownership we see then, right. We have Gabe Davis at 30%. So let me share with you the wide receivers that are above currently projected 10% ownership. Stefan Diggs. Yeah, th- correct. I said Stefan Diggs, KJ Osborne, Isaiah McKenzie, Alec Pierce, Demarcus Robinson, Jalen, Amari, Paris, People Jones, and then the top. That's crazy to me. Um, that it's Stefan Diggs. And that's where he is. And then tied in, uh, kind of went how I expected when I opened it up a little bit. I thought Andrews would be a little higher. We have Hawk at 32. Andrews a projected 20, Knox, Najoku, and then we get down into the Likelys, Gaseckis, Grantsons, Bryant's Woods, you know, the Smice, those guys. So opening up, I think we're seeing an interesting ownership projecting. Now that you've heard those numbers, what's your gut reaction? What is, you know, if you were looking at this and nobody was watching you, what notes would you make off of those, you know, seeing those projections? Walk some people through a little bit of DS, DFS theory for me. The theory is a little bit different on a three game slate when you get more information as the day goes in the sense that the NFL has scheduled these games on Saturday, like the Thanksgiving slate, where we play one game, we get a 45 minute break, then we play the next one, we get a 45 minute break, and then we play the final game. So while the field is probably trying to work out how they want to construct their rosters as if all these games were playing at the same time, the optimal way to approach a slate like this is just trying to make it to the next decision point as close to optimal as you can be. What does that mean? That means taking a wait and see approach to make these decisions, to make this, to, to, to decide these theoretical or to have these theoretical discussions as opposed to doing it on Friday the day before the slate kicks off where it's like, this is how my roster is going to be for the slate. Going down that same rabbit hole. We're just going to, we're just going to open it, dude. We're just going to get into it because I don't want to play this. Like I got a secret thing. Go check out like inner circle. Let's just fucking do it. Like, um, your breakdown is fantastic by the way. So, uh, (laughs) it is like, I, I really, it's really good. Um, I've read it. I went through it. I, I read these before we start. And it's a, I, pr- I promise to anybody listening to this, you're not getting this kind of game theory and interpretation from many other people in the industry. That, that's what I'll say about it. And I'll let Hilo break it down uh, and, and give him the mic here. So right off the rip, this, this slate is probably thought of around the industry or around the field as ugly, right? It's like, oh my God, like the the best game environment is uh, they're expecting snow, they're expecting wind. Um, the high, second highest team total on the slate is the Vikings. Um, and then it's like, where do we go? Oh, right, let's, let's go to the Colts. So from the perspective of how do we handle a slate with uncertainty, this is a like GPP bros as the badge bros call them. <laughs> this is like a GPP bros wet dream slate. <laughs> there 
There's so much you can do to embrace uncertainty to gain an edge on the field. We have like Huntley and Deshaun Watson who are playing uh, against each other in very like very defined paths of least resistance. Like you, the teams just throw against the Ravens teams, just run against the, uh, the Browns. We have a game. The final game of the slate is that, that snow game, Miami at Buffalo, where it's like, these teams are both top five in pace. They're both top five in pass rate over expectation. Does that change because we expect like 15 mile an hour wins and snow? Not really. This is not a situation where it's like they're expecting six to eight inches over a three hour time span during the game. This is a situation where it's like they're expecting a little bit of snow, like a couple of inches over a three hour span is not overly prohibitive. So if the field is like viewing this as like, we don't know where to go, we're going to place our money on the Colts. That's just like, (laughs) <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't place your money on Jeff Saturday and Matt Ryan. Let's just look somewhere else. But jumping back a bit from a macro perspective, that's kind of the 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 view of the slate from a top level perspective if we were if all these games were being played at once. So like a a standard like early only slate or a, a more more applicable to like a late only slate where it's like you get you get three or four games. The fact that we get more information as the slate goes on, we need to be feeding that information into our decision-making matrix, into our process, into how we are biasing our play. So if you take that mindset and build rosters, pretty much just like only worrying about the first game, which is where a lot of the field is going to be going on the slate because of the state of the Ravens and the Browns with the uncertainty because of the uncertainty with the weather, with the dolphins and the bills. If you just like cut out those two games and build like those players from the final two games are placeholders at this point, they are just there to see, to show me how salary can work out. All I care about is varying my exposure to the first game to leave as close as optimal from that first game as I can be. We don't know what optimal is from like how salary comes together. But what we do know is if I play four players from this first game and only three of them put up a GPP viable score, I am not optimal. So how do I adjust from there? If I play two players from this game and three players go off, like quote unquote, go off. If like Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson and like Alec Pierce put up 25 plus fantasy points and you only played two of them, you are not optimal. So how do we ship a GPP where we get more information with every passing minute or like once we'll just say with every, every passing game, we have to be as close to optimal at each checkpoint. And if you view each game ending as a checkpoint, now is a place where we need to reassess our decision-making process. So what does that mean from a, what do, like from an actionable perspective, how do I put that into play right now? You build varying 
uh, combinations of players from that early game. You leave a roster in play that has nobody from the early game. You leave, um, you play a couple of, of overstacks from that early game. You, you mix and match the secondary tertiary options from that early game. You play the Alec Pierce's, you play the, um, Paris Campbell's, you play the, um, the, uh, Jelani Woods. You like, you get, you get a little bit varied with your exposure to that early game. And you do it in a, in a sense that like, I don't have to make the decisions for the whole slate right now. What I have to do is I have to be as close to optimal leaving that first checkpoint, that first decision point, that first game to where I can adjust things from there. And another way to do that, that I've been starting to mess around with this year um, that uh, Sonic has talked a lot about in the past is building duplicate builds. So like build two of each roster that you put into play and a way to either, um, a way that I like to attack these small slates where we get more information as the slate progresses is to bump my average buy-in down and enter more rosters because now you're, you have the ability to build these double, these dummy duo lineups, these double lineups. You have the ability to um, put more rosters into play and adjust as the games are, are progressing. So the theoretical aspect of that is like it's very hard to relinquish the very innate like human want for control in the sense that like I want to know how my rosters are going to look now. If you fight through that and be like, I only need to know how my rosters are, are going to look for the first game right now, it gives you that flexibility to adjust And it gives you this change in mindset where it's like, I don't need optimal for the slate right now. I need optimal for the first game. So how do I build my roster portfolio to account for that? How do I adjust from that once we get the information from the first game? Um, Because although the Colts are garnering a lot of attention here, it's like, a ton of JT and we kind of know why, because he's seeing like a consistent 22 to 25 running back opportunities with Jeff Saturday. Um, that said the Colts run game against the Vikings run defense is a terrible mismatch for the Vikings defense. The Colts are not generating push up front. They are ranked towards the bottom of the league in adjusted line yards. The Vikings are actually ranked in the top 10 in a lot of run metrics. So, and, oh, by the way, unless otherwise forced, we can almost be certain that the Colts are not going to come out firing through the air here. So it's like they're going to get maybe a quarter and a half, maybe two quarters of like increased pass, maybe bias. And that's a very specific um way for this game to play out. So all of that comes in like we can expect maybe two to three targets for Jonathan Taylor. We can expect probably 19 to 22 carries somewhere in that range. Can he basically because he's relinquished to like this yardage and touchdown back kind of profile, can he get there? Can he score? Can he rush for 100 yards and two touchdowns? against or in a difficult matchup behind a pretty shitty run blocking offensive line. 
at 50% ownership, my answer would probably be like, I'll put my money elsewhere. Uh, and there's a lot of interesting places that you can go to do that. Um, let, yeah. let me ask this way for you. So I, I aggregated all the ownership together. Okay. So I just pulled it all together. I'm going to name off the, the first seven players mm -hmm. in ownership. And this is, it literally links back to what Mark was just talking about. Jonathan Taylor, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, TJ Hawkinson, Michael Pittman, Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins. As of today, projected ownership across a three-team slate, the top seven are from this game. And you didn't know that yet because these just came out. Everybody just released projections. He hasn't had a chance to look at them. And I think this directly correlates to exactly what you're talking about, right? How do you leverage this game? Where do you get leverage from and not and get away from the field? And I think that's a perfect example of what you're just talking about. Yeah. And the names that I didn't hear on that list are the names that I am most drawn to from this yep. game <laughs> in the secondary options from the Colts. It's like Paris Campbell, um, Alec Pierce, uh, like Paris is Paris with Matt Ryan is like the guy that can get open in the first five yards for this offense. So he's, we can basically think of Paris as like Matt Ryan's safety blanket. And that's a good thing because Matt right. Ryan needs his blankie. Um, the Alec Pierce is the downfield option in this offense. He is the guy that is the desperation mode engaged player. With the way that this game is likely to play out, both of those profiles are highly, highly intriguing in the sense that the Vikings, uh, first of all, the Colts are last dead last in the league in turnover margin this season. The Vikings create pressure on defense and they get turnovers. So thinking about like, what is the likeliest way for this game to play out? That's likely to be a factor. Matt Ryan mistakes are likely to be a factor here. So along that, what team, hint, hint, wink, wink, gives up the most as of today going into this week? What team has given up the most points per game in fantasy by outside wide receivers? I'll give you 20 guesses, but you're probably only going to need one. The Vikings? Yes. The Vikings lead the league at 30.1 points uh -huh. given up in fantasy points on average to outside wide receivers. And it, that again, directly correlates into what you're talking about, right? Like, yeah. how do you go there? How do you attack them? And how do you pivot off of all that ownership? I think this is a great spot to not get overcommitted to that game and, and look at Campbell or Pierce and say, okay, I think this is a great way to leverage it. Yeah. And like adding to that is like Kylan Granson, uh, Jelani Woods put up a big game. What two weeks ago? Yeah. And that was without Kylan Granson. Kylan Granson came back and re-entered the tight end one, the main pass catching tight end role. Um, which is interesting because like, it's probably this dynamic of Jelani Woods as a rookie. We don't fully trust him. We'll utilize him. Um, in a high route rate. So they're not asking him to block much. Um, Kylan Granson gives them a little bit more exposure to a, a complete tight end, 
So that's probably why he re-entered like the primary tight end role. That said, like if he's going to maintain this primary tight end pass catching role, um, if he's going to play 55, 60% of the offensive snaps, there is a path to him putting up like five catches for 60, 50, 60 yards and a score and like forcing the issue into the, the optimal discussion on this slate where tight end is a mess where um, like the highest priced tight ends are like TJ Hawkinson and um, like that's who else is on the slate. And, <laughs> Andrew, Mark Andrews is Mark Andrews. Okay. Perfect. But, but tight end. like to give you an idea though, of how Andrews has been this year, he's only $5,700 this week, mm-hmm. right? On a three game, on a three game slate, right? Kelsey would be $7,800 this year, eight grand on a three game slate for, for Kelsey where on this three game slate is 5,700 bucks. Um, you know, and that's, that's an interesting spot for me with, you know, with tight end just being as ugly as it's been this year. Yeah. So it's okay. So like the top three tight ends are Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, David Njoku. Those are like the top three on paper plays. Those are the guys that can put this tiny slate out of reach. It's like you go beyond that. It's like Dawson Knox, Mike Kosicki, who has zero catches over the last three games, Kylan Granson, Harrison Bryant, Jelani Woods. So it's like it gets thin very, very fast. So playing to that, if TJ Hawkinson gets his standard like six to eight target game and he uh, puts up like his standard range of outcomes is like 12, 11 to 15 fantasy points. If he does that, but um kylan granson who's at 2800 sees six targets catches five of them and a score like then it's like okay well now we're into the range of granson could be optimal on this slate if you play zero of him how are you making up for that you're making up for that by forcing either david njoku or mark andrews from the second game then it's like if they fail what am i left with shit like i have to play like dawson knox and hope because i'm not playing mike kasicki because he's not in my player pool and hope that he scores so like that's what i mean by like taking it as, with a step-by-step process a very like methodical approach to the slate is like if you don't give yourself at least the pathway to having kylan granson exposure from this first game you could be drawing dead from the jump and that's not a position that we want to find ourselves in. We want to give ourselves outs on a place on a slate like this to be able to adjust as we get more news. So like, yeah, like I'll have rosters in play that only have like Justin Jefferson, Alec Pierce and Kylan Granson from this game. I'll have rosters in play that only have Kylan Granson and Paris Campbell. So like there, there's interesting ways to approach this. Like, what if Justin Jefferson puts up, he has a a 12-target game, but he catches eight for 90 and doesn't score? It's like, well, he's probably not optimal. Are we likely to see massive, massive exposure on Justin Jefferson? Yeah. So, like, it's super, super uncomfortable because on paper, like, Justin Jefferson is the top play from this game. But we're leaving out the entire discussion of variance and on a three game slate 
we have to adopt a little bit more of this like showdown mindset where it's like, I don't know what's going to happen, dude. I know what could happen and I know how to most optimally build my roster for that, for those varying scenarios. So it's like, yes, like Justin Jefferson is the top play on this slate. He's also one of the most expensive and he's also in a matchup against a Colts defense that has surrendered the fewest fantasy points to opposing wide receivers this season. So like what could happen in a strength on strength matchup, everything, (laughs) everything could happen. The entire spectrum. So like if Justin Jefferson sees 12 targets, catches eight of them and, and does not score, he's probably not optimal. And on, as the number of games on a slate decrease, we need to be closer to optimal like look at showdown you need the optimal roster to to win in that game look at a full slate the delta between optimal scoring in the millie maker last year and the winning roster in the millie maker last year was about 39 points so that's like that's that's significant you have wiggle room you don't need optimal this slate we need close to optimal so if you're if you're only playing, if you're locking Justin Jefferson, like he can't fail, I'm just going to play him and move on. And he doesn't put up 35 fantasy points. You are drawing dead. You are not winning. Right. If we start talking about, we'll go four X, we won't even go five. Right. I mean, look at, right. So you're telling me on, you know, I want to go back to the tight end here, right? Hawkinson who's say lands. He's projected around 40% right now. Say he lands there, right? He's at five grand. So you're saying I got to have him score 20. Say he scores, like you said, 14, 15, right? But a almost 50% Granson or woods, right? At around 10%, right? Say they score nine, right? Like that, you know, that gets you at that 3000 number. It gets you three X. And if they get you to 12, if they get you that TD, right? The salary is going to open up in other positions is, is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. I want to move on here to the next game on the slate, which is the Ravens at the Browns. Yeah. And I think we're only going to talk about the Saturday slate here. <laughs> We've, I ate up too much time. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, so let's, let's talk about this game, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to ask your quick opinion. What do you what did you think when JK broke that run and we watched him run and he looked like an antler that had been <laughs> shot with an arrow and was hobbly trying to get away yeah. from the hunter that was gonna slice his throat? When I look for when I look at tape, when I when I watched that run, I'm not looking for breakaway speed. I'm not looking for was he, did he have a limp? I'm looking for his gait. So how his stride looked. Yep. And he looked like one of those wind-up toys. You wind <laughs> it up and they go. That's what he looked like. That's a great explanation. His gait was probably 50% like as wide as it normally is. So that means his hamstrings are not fully extending, but like super, I'm not going to get into like the fucking human body, but like, right. The physiology of it. Yeah. It's like his muscle groups are not working together properly in his lower extremities, his major muscle groups. So his quads, his hamstrings um, and his groin. 
they're just not, they're not working together. They're not. And typically what you see when you have a knee injury, when you have a major muscle group injury, like a, a quad or a hamstring is the other muscles have to work harder to make up for the fact that that major muscle group is not hundred percent. So like what I saw from JK Dobbins is he was doing these little like mini me steps. Like his gait was like 50% as wide as it, as it usually is because his muscle groups are not 100% and working together properly. That's what I saw. He looked like shit on that run. <laughs> but- what, 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 the, what I actually said live watching it is he looked like Fred Flintstone from the old cartoons <laughs> yeah. when he was bowling, like, twinkled, twinkled toes, right? Yeah. When he like twinkled toes up to the line. Um, but he didn't have any pliability, right? He didn't look loose. Yeah. He didn't look fluid. You could see that he wasn't pliable, right? And one of the things that, and I'm going to refer to Brady here, that while you know Brady will joke and he's good about talking about how slow he is, right? One of the things Brady has always been is pliable, right? Um, it's I think it's one of the things that's really helped him avoid, you know, injury short of that one, that major yeah. injury. So for me, with what I'm starting to see, right, as I look at like running back ownership and I start seeing JK at 15% already, I'm like, uh, I, I, I got questions. And how do I, most importantly, how do I leverage the field on this game that I think overall short of Njoku, we're going to see pretty low ownership on what is a three game slate. And what is the lowest total, right? As you said, how yeah. do I get to the next game? And, you know, I think you break that down really well uh, inside the paywall and a, and a good way to leverage it. And I, I'm not going to give away the farm here because I, I think it's worth uh, coming in and seeing. But that's a, that's a good way to, to, to go at it. Yeah. And like from this game, both teams have a very clear path of least resistance, it doesn't necessarily align with both of their, how they want to approach the game, but it is a very clear path of like when shit is hitting the fan, when these teams are in the third, fourth quarter and they know they each know that they need to win here. (laughs) Like how are they likeliest to attack? It's probably towards the path of least resistance. And for the Ravens that is on the ground and for the Browns, that is through the air. Yep. It's like the, the Ravens are again amongst the top two teams in um, pass rate against the Browns just bleed production on the ground this season. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and this also like this, this line makes no sense to me. Also, I, I don't know how the Browns are three point favorites here. Because the Ravens are so likely to control the game environment on the ground. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Um, This is one of those uh, uh, Star Wars, it's a trap meme games, right? Like I can see see a lot of people getting trapped uh, the way they're looking at it. I can see Vegas trying to trap people with where the numbers are. And saying this is what we expect based upon game environment. Uh, I, I have a couple ways I, I really want to play this game, and uh, if you come into you know Discord, you'll uh, you'll be able to uh, talk to us about it inside Inner Circle. There, I'm going to ask you a question. What is the ownership on DPJ, yep. and what is the ownership on Gus? 
So this is, so I had it pulled up. So I love Gus here. This is, um, I've already, uh, I'll give it away because I've already talked about it. I, I love Gus, Gus's rush prop over. I've already, you know, already bet his rush prop. His rush yards are 38 and a half. So I'm all over that. He is at three and a half percent projected as of today. Three and a half, right? Against Coke, what, Coke. Ruddy? The 30th run D in the league. Just, just remember that. And then my guy who, who got me there last week, right? That, that helped me. Uh, I, I had a really good week uh, overall, and especially on my SEs. Uh, DPJ. Now, keep in mind, guys, we're giving you ownerships here. This is a three game slate, so they're inflated, right? This is a full, you know, 10, 12, you know, 15 game slate. DPJ is only at 17%. So when I see that, right, and I and I see Watson's track history of what position receiver he likes to throw to, mm-hmm. right, and then I go pull up average, you know, I look at average fantasy points allowed by the defense, right, and I start looking at where's Baltimore in overall, you know, wide receiver. Uh, they give up a lot. They are giving up 37, right? Like that's one, two, I mean, they're – fifth yeah so they're fifth in average fantasy points a week to wide receivers um Check, uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna give away my skeleton key play i'm just gonna do Ooh, it i love it um, i love it some juice here look at the state of the browns pass catchers david njoku right. is a primary piece yeah amari cooper is a primary piece he did not practice yep. tuesday or wednesday he got in a limited session thursday He's listed on the injury report as not injury related rest hip. It's like, right. that is injury related, bro. What is you talking about? Right. Um, so he's probably going to play. His effectiveness can be put in question. He saw mm-hmm. what seven targets last week. He caught only two of them. He has not been on the same page with, with Watson. Um, then their wide receiver three, who has now been like an established member of the offense is David Bell. He did not practice at all this week. He's listed as questionable. He did not practice Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. He's listed with thumb and toe injuries. Uh, so his phalanges are, are all fucked up. That said, like he has not practiced. It's not a major muscle group or a knee or, or an ankle or something like that. But the... <laughs> The Browns also have Anthony Schwartz, who is on IR. They also have some other injuries, their pass catching core, to where Demetric Felton came in in his first game off of IR and was thrust into a similar situation where he had to play the slot wide receiver role. He's priced, he's listed as a running back. And priced at the stone minimum at running back at 4K. Talk about like a piece that nobody is going to be on that could play 65% of the offensive snaps for a team that's probably going to be passing more in a slot wide receiver role. That's like, that's what I'd look for. Like a piece that can, nobody's going to be on that can put up 15 plus fantasy points on a short slate. And this is like full, like, like showdown mindset. 
Like, yeah. what is the piece that nobody's going to be on that could differentiate, that could separate? It's Demetric Felton, dude, which is really, really weird to think about. But again, that depends on David Bell. That also, is, we're not going to see ownership on him because we're probably not going to get David Bell news until 90 minutes prior, until the yep. kick of the second game, which is like people are not going to be building rosters with David Bell uh, or I mean with, uh, with Demetric Felton. So there's a lot of interesting dynamics from this game in the sense that one, the field isn't fully embracing how the path of least resistance for each team Two, the field has very little interest from this game because of the low game total, because of the Browns are favored because the Browns just scored three defensive touchdowns against Houston two weeks ago. There's just a lot of bias that's creeping in for this game. There's a lot of interesting ways that you can leverage it. Demetric Felton, um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, David Njoku is probably my favorite tight end play in a vacuum. Um, and there's ways to, to view this game through that lens of our discussion previously, which is like, how do I escape this game, the second decision point, with as close to optimal as possible. It's probably getting a little bit funky. It's probably playing the Gus Edwards. It's probably playing the Demetric Feltons, the Donovan Peoples Joneses. Um, yeah, that's kind of my take on this game. It's like there's probably going to be one or two players from this game that approach the optimal discussion. And the field is just like, ew, I don't want to play this game. So you brought it up is when we first started talking about, you know, quote, the ugly slate. These are actually my favorite kind of slates because of how the, the mass and everybody tries to approach it. So let's talk about it. You asked me about ownership. So right now, Njoku's coming in at 33%, number two tight end behind Hawk, but he's $800 less. And he's $1,500 less than Andrews, who's at 17%, right? But at wide receiver, we have no David Bell ownership. We have no Felton ownership yet, right? And and can't say I'm shocked about that because of the news. But at wide receiver, right, we start getting in. DPJ's at 17%, right? We have him hit there. And then Cooper's at 21%. Again, you're talking about a thousand dollar difference, and we're just talking about DK. This is a different play on FanDuel and Yahoo, but for the most part, you know, when you hear us talking about ownership, we're we're talking about that. So that's where we're at there. And then running back, as we talked about, where's everybody going to go? Everybody right now is going to Chubb. They're going to Hunt, and then JK. And meanwhile, I can get a $5,000 Gus Edwards at three and a half to probably ends up at 5% ownership on a three team slate. Sign me up, sign me up for ugly dysfunction. And I'll use last night as an example on the showdown side, everybody was on Seattle last night. Everybody loves Seattle. They love DK. They love Lockett, which oh, that's Lockett's broken hand is brutal for my best ball yeah uh, I'm a, I, I need to go get a 40 and pour one out um, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel about lock at my best ball right now but 
let's go back to, and I'll go from there, go back to Monday, right? Uh, I had, again, had 5-1 stacks with the cards, and Kyler going down was brutal and yeah. for me, right? But when I look at process, I'm like, okay, there. So how do I, and I'm doing it because I'm getting such leverage on the field, and I think that's a, a great way to look at that slate because as we talk about it, the darling game of the slate is the night game, is the Dolphins at the Bills, and I I get it's going to snow, but I love Mike McDaniel's walking out. You know where I wish it was a bit colder. T-shirt. That's yeah. You, know, uh, you have to like a guy that's staying loose, and that helps with the team flow. That helps them there. This is a big spot for the Dolphins and the Bills when it comes to home field advantage in the playoffs. Yeah, right. This is a uh, this is a big game. Both and these teams we, are playing for everything. This yeah. is a this is as close to a playoff environment that we'll see out of a Week 15 game this year. So as we look at that, and I look at Tua coming in as the least owned quarterback, I said at the beginning, just sign me up. I get it's the Bills D. I get it. It's the leverage point for me. We know how correlated their offense is. We know where it's going through. We know we're 99% sure we're not going to see Jeff Wilson. I always leave 1% because I don't trust anybody with any injury reports anymore, the way, especially after the way this season's gone. And I think this is a unique way to look at the slate, especially as we start talking about not just the top guys, but how do you leverage this game and, and where are you open? So if you have let's say we have three, you know, to four spots from the first two games and we've hit the optimal we've hit say Paris is there. Gus is there. Njoku hits at tight end. And we have, I don't even know who to go there from. We'll go, we'll go your boy Felton, right. Instead of DPJ. So we're there, right? So we're there. We're optimal right now. And you start looking at salary and pivots. How do you how do you approach this? How do you how do you teach someone like this is how we approach that spot in this game? That's a question that would take an hour coaching session to discuss. Um, to discuss fully and give it the attention that it needs. From a I have two minutes to talk about this before I have to jump to another podcast perspective. Um, it's probably you are optimal. You don't need to get as weird. When you think about that with within the dynamics of, or the confines of the slate and how salary a, a salary cap game works, it's highly likely that not a lot of rosters in play are going to have both of Tyreek Hill and Stefan Diggs. It's highly likely that you're not going to see rosters that have gotten to where you are have two of doubles. It's highly, what I mean by that is it's highly likely that, excuse me, it's highly likely that the teams, first of all, you're going to be one of maybe a hundred rosters in the Millie that have Demetric Felton to begin with. So there's a lot at play here, like this layered discussion. But 
you have to then think about what is what is the risk reward of the 60 to 100 rosters that are in my position right now. What are they thinking through? Well, they're probably playing it safe. They're probably doing this and that. How do I leverage off of that? There's probably not going to be a whole lot of two of doubles from the night game. There's uh, because the the play it safe from here. If I've found myself here, considering all the salary that teams have, they're probably playing like like Josh Allen with Stefan Diggs and playing it safe. Um, there's just a there's a lot to unpack there from like. I guess from a macro perspective, your decision now is I know I am one of 60 rosters that are in my position right now. How do I win a 60 person GPP from here on out? That's how you bias your decisions. I got to run, dude. I'm sorry to cut that off. Um, I got another podcast I got to jump over to. Uh, You can take it out, (laughs) but I got to run, dude. So thanks, everybody. We have some other stuff to talk about. You can come into our Discord. Thanks for joining us this week. And in case you didn't know, Mark wears about nine hats and that's why he's got to run. See you guys in discord and talk to you soon.